Good morning, church. Last week, Dean spoke, and while his words were wonderful, they led perfectly into what Lauren and I are here to say to you. Um, he did lie about one thing. He promised that uh, Patrick would be here. He is, but Lauren and I are preaching today. So exciting. He brought up, if you weren't here, he brought up this analogy of this bull, this Japanese art form. He took a hammer to this thing. He, uh, it, was, it was quite a moment. He took a hammer to it. He uh, laid out the pieces on this table. And it's about this, this thing that, that's ugly. It's broken. But it turns into to this beautiful, unique piece of art that's unlike anything else. When Lauren and I were preparing for the sermon, we ran into the entire Barham family at Frothy Monkey, and Melanie told us that when he took a hammer to this thing, people turned around and said to her, I hope you didn't need that. Um, and so if you weren't here, it was a moment when he, when he created this moment of destruction. It was crazy, but I mean, it was happy. We knew he wasn't going to go ransack the whole church building, right? Um, it was destruction, but it was happening in a safe space because of our surroundings and our faith in that moment. Yeah. This is a really cool moment for me. Um, I'm like getting a little emotional trying to hold it together. Um, it's really awesome to be, have the honor to be up here standing um, in front of a family that I love so much, but also with a student that is now a friend that I love so much. Um, that was not in my notes. Anyways, we're gonna be in John 16, 16 through 24 this morning. And so as you turn to that, I want to give you a little bit of context. For those of you that don't know, it's totally okay. John is one of the Gospels. So we've got four Gospels in the New Testament. But so Matthew, Mark, and Luke, those are the synoptic Gospels. So John's a little bit different. John's Gospel story is just a little different. And there are some fun things that we can learn through John's story. Something that I really appreciate in John's perspective in actually chapter 20, which we're not, you're turning to 16, John 16. But in John chapter 20, John talks about how all of this is so that you can understand more, may believe in Jesus, that Jesus is Christ, the Son of God, and that by believing you may have life in his name. And so when I read John thinking about his desire as all this is being written is so that you may really believe. And what I love about specifically this passage that Emily picked in John 16, it follows right after, I believe that where, where scripture is found in the Bible brings us a lot of important context. It's found right after a portion where Jesus, these are his, this is with his crew, he's with his disciples, he's saying all the last things, he's saying what's going on, and right before this turning morning into dancing, this sorrow and joy moment, this joy and sorrow moment, he talks about leaving the Holy Spirit with them. He says, man, I promise you, I'm going to go, and you want the, the advocate, counselor, helper, he's coming. This is a good thing. And then right after this portion is John 17, which Albert, John 17, prayer by Jesus. Albert says this is one of the most important chapters in all of scripture. Is that true, sir? All right. Albert preached in our sermon. That was part of it. Just note, note that. Anyway, so John 17, if you haven't read that in a while or if you've never read it before, I really challenge you to read that this week. It's a prayer. It's amazing. By Jesus, a red letter prayer. So the scripture we're reading today, red letters, if you don't like what we have to say or what John has to say, let's listen to Jesus, right? John 16, 16 through 24. Jesus went on to say, in a little while you will see me no more, and then after a little while you will see me. At this, some of his disciples said to one another, what does he mean by saying, in a little while you will see me no more, and then after a little while you will see me, and because I'm going to the Father. They kept asking, what does he mean by a little while? We don't understand what he's saying. 
Jesus saw that they wanted to ask him about this, so he said to them, are you asking one another what I meant when I said, in a little while you will see me no more, and then after a little while you will see me? Very truly I tell you, you will weep and mourn while the world rejoices. You will grieve, but your grief will turn to joy. A woman giving birth to a child has pain because her time has come, but when her baby is born, she forgets the anguish because of her joy that a child is born into the world. So with you, now is your time of grief, but I will see you again, and you will rejoice, and no one will take away your joy. In that day, you will no longer ask me anything very truly. I tell you, my Father will give you whatever you ask in my name. Until now, you have not asked for anything in my name. Ask, and you will receive, and your joy will be complete. Amen. So this beginning, we're going to start with 16 and kind of dive right in. 16, a little while, and you will see me in no longer in a little while, and all these little whiles, and it gets confusing. So much so, Jesus is so confusing to the point where the disciples are like, what, wait, what, what, what do you mean? <laughs> a little while, we won't see you, and then a little while, we'll see you. Like, what are you talking about? And so it's, it's kind of easy when reading it to think, okay, he means, you know, he's going to leave and then second coming, he's going to come back. Like a little while you won't see me and then a little while you will. But that's not what Jesus is referring to right here. Jesus is referring to the little while you won't see me, three days in the tomb. The little while you won't see me. And then in a little while you'll see me again. He's talking about the time between the resurrection and the ascension. So his promise here when he talks about my joy will never leave you, it's now. It's, and it's, it's ever since the, the resurrection. This isn't just waiting until the second coming. So he says this little while. So, so we have, it's totally fine. I'm going to walk you through it a little bit. It's okay if you don't know about this story. I don't want anyone to feel like it's not. A, it's, it's okay if you don't remember, if you didn't know that there was time between. But so we have, when Jesus dies on the cross, we have the tomb for three days. And then we have the resurrection. But there was time spent here between before we have the ascension, before he goes back up into heaven. So we've got this time between. But in this time, he's saying, I'm with you, and this joy gets to be with you. Verse 20, I believe this is one of the most important parts of this section right here. He finishes this verse, he says, you will be sorrowful, but your sorrow will turn to joy. Okay, so let's break this down. How does Jesus mean their sorrow will turn to joy? I think so many people today focus on what's right in front of them, you know, the right here, right now. Live life in the moment, right? I feel like we say that a lot, and that's okay, fair enough. But I feel as if we're doing ourselves a disservice by disregarding our pain, our suffering, our sorrows. You know, doing this for, for one fun night out, you know, just ignoring the pain or disregarding our sorrows rather than acknowledging them for what they are. I firmly believe that people choose temporary convenience over permanent stability. Temporary convenience over permanent stability. Jesus wants you to allow yourself to feel every bit of sorrow that swallows you whole. But you have to be aware that it is through joy in which you find your strength in these darkest of moments. So I said this temporary convenience and this permanent stability. We can break that up so we're talking about joy. You hear the saying, choose joy. You know, some people say, be happy. But I believe these are two very different things. You can choose this permanent strength, joy over temporary ease, which is happiness. Our convenient options in life usually are not the most beneficial to us long-term. To possess these undercurrents of joy in the midst of the hustle and bustle of, of the things that, that just get you in a rut, you will discover an end to all your sufferings. And that's a promise from the Lord. 
But in the context of this verse, Jesus is telling his disciples that their sorrows will turn to joy when he rises from the dead. Lauren just elaborated on this. They'll only be sorrowful for this short period of time until they grasp how Jesus is alive. And during this grieving period, the disciples will find strength through this joy. We just sang, the joy of the Lord is my strength with their faith and their hope for something bigger to come. And I want to break this apart too. Faith and hope, just like happiness and joy, I believe these are two very different things. In moments of pain, it is hard to see light at the end of the tunnel. I've been there. I know so many of you in this room have been there too. But it's not enough to hold on to hope. Hope is this thought that, that maybe things will get better. That maybe you will see the light at the end of the tunnel. Maybe things will improve. But faith, knowing that the God we worship is a God of redemption and healing. This is how we find joy in our darkest of moments. In Matthew 11, 28 through 30, Jesus says, come to me. All you who are weary and burdened and I will give you rest. Take my yoke upon you and learn from me. For I am gentle and humble in heart and you will find rest for your souls. For my yoke is easy and my burden is light. It is a testament to the strength we have because of our faith. When we relinquish control to the Lord over whatever is happening in our lives. So we're going to pick it back up in verse 21. When a woman is giving birth, she has sorrow because her hour has come. But when she has delivered the baby, she no longer remembers the anguish for the joy that a human being has been born into the world. I really love the timeless analogy that Jesus gives us here. Um, you know, sometimes analogies in scripture, I don't know if y'all are with me or not, sometimes I get a little confused. I'm like, the vineyard, someone's coming, like, can we do like a Chick-fil-A shift? Like, that, that would make it a little easier for me to understand. But this timeless analogy of giving birth, I know that a lot of us in the room, I've never given birth before. I look around and see a lot of people that probably haven't in terms of, I don't know, the men in the room. And also sometimes people haven't gotten to experience this thing. And I want to say too, that when even Jesus uses this analogy, that can be a really hard moment. That can be a sorrow-filled moment. And I just want to speak to that too, and that this church is ready to love you and walk with you and pray with you through that. So even in a moment where Jesus gives an analogy, we get to experience this grief. What? Like even in a timeless analogy, we step into moments of grief while Jesus is talking. But I think of the pain of labor, again, haven't experienced this, but not just the labor moment, the nine months leading up to it, how painful that could be. Some of you in the room were like, yeah, so painful, so hard. All of that pain in that moment, but then when this human is here, what joy. But if we took all that pain out of the experience, if all of that wasn't there, I think, again, not a mother, but would that, I think it would take out of the experience of this moment, this beautiful moment of holding a child. If it was a super simple process, I think that it would be different. But yeah, we sometimes try to take pain out of an experience. But here, I think Jesus is saying that pain can really make the situation even that much more beautiful. But we try to take pain out or push it to the side a lot of times. I know I'm really guilty of this. And even sometimes when we love other people, we, we can choose to love out of loyalty or, or fight for certain things like justice or loyalty. So like if Emily, this is not a true situation, but let's say Emily is dating someone and they shatter her heart into a million pieces. It's really easy for me in that moment to be like, he's the worst. Let's roll his house, right? Like, no, you don't mess with Emily. 
And like, with, I, I've experienced this moment, right? When someone hurts some of the students, I'm like, oh, you don't hurt my students. And it's easy to kind of like, you know, your fist clamp and you're like, it's because I love them, right? I'm so guilty of this. But what does it look like if we can step into a moment and say, okay, Emily is hurt in this moment and there is grief here and there is anguish here. How do I best love her while drawing a line of grace and acceptance to all of, other, all of God's children? That's so hard. <laughs> but that's accepting the pain. That's inviting joy and the joy of the Lord being her strength into her pain rather than saying, oh, he's the worst. Like, let's roll his house, which is kind of the nice thing that I would say maybe. You know, so like, but what does it look like to say, okay, in this pain, let's both invite Jesus into this moment, invite the joy of the Lord being your strength. And recognize that we can have grace even in the midst of our pain. The emotions are valid, though. It doesn't change that in the midst of that there's still tears and there's frustration and anger. Um, a few weeks ago in class, Aiden Luna shared with the students, and it was amazing. It was just a really cool lesson. And Evan came up after and talked about the beauty of having grief and joy all in the same moment. And being able to experience both of those emotions. And he said it so poetically. It was wonderful. And I, I couldn't help but think of my grandmother in this moment. In um, 2010, the flood of Nash in Nashville of 2010, a lot of you remember this. So our city was underwater. And my grandmother and grandfather, their homes were one of the homes that were flooded. And so Granny and Papa, senior year, they're moving in, moving into the bonus room. Um, and at first I remember being like, oh, man, okay, great. Like, but it was actually a really amazing summer. It was super cool to get to live with my grandparents for, for three months. And they moved in, and it was so crazy because they had lost everything. Their home, like, you could waste high water in their house. They had lost it all. And I remember that entire summer, every time you'd ask my sweet grandmother, Granny, like, how are you doing? What's going on? To everyone, she said, I'm flooded with blessings. <laughs> and you're like, she's using the word flooded. The woman's crazy, right? But she meant it, and she's still today, even, like, even in her really old age, today if you asked her what that season was like for her, she would tell you she was flooded with blessings. She's staying, she, her and her husband are living with her daughter and their family, and she is flooded with blessings. And she's even using the language that tore her whole life apart. What does it look like when we say, like, this is the pain but yet the joy of the Lord is here. So even, we go on to verse 22. So also that you may have sorrow now, but I will see you again, and your hearts will rejoice. And no one, Jesus' words, no one will take your joy from you. There are so many things that are taken from us. Homes, purity, our hearts, insecurities. There's so many things that can be taken from All of our possessions can be taken from us, right? All these things that can be taken. Jesus says, your joy cannot be taken from you. You get to have this. You get to choose to have this. And even when all these other things seem like they're stripped away from your life, you get to choose to have this because he says no one can take that away from you. Amen. So we continue in verses 23 through 24. There's a part of this where Jesus says, whatever you ask of the Father in my name, and until you have asked, until now you have asked nothing in my name. And this reminds me of this whole section um, of Matthew 7, 7 in the Sermon on the Mount. Jesus says, ask and it will be given to you. Seek and you will find. Knock and the door will be open to you. When our desires align with the Lord's, it is a promise that what we ask shall be answered. What we seek shall be found. And here, like I said, he says, ask in my name. And I do not think he could be any more clear about this. 
It's so important. This is a small part of the verse, but it's so important and we miss it. There's power in the name of Jesus. When we acknowledge his name in the midst of the hustle and bustle of our lives, when we choose to unashamedly speak his name intentionally, that's the important part, intentionally, I cannot fathom the things he could do when we recognize and use this power. Okay, and so power, this might sound a little silly, but hang with me. So I was thinking, you got Spider-Man, okay, Peter Parker. He gets bitten by the spider, all of a sudden he has these cool things. He does a lot of stuff after this takes place, but I can tell you one thing for sure that he did not do. He did not step aside into a corner. He did not hide and say, you know, like this, this is really cool, like great, I can do all these things, but you know what, it's not for me. That's really scary, I'm just not going to use it. No, he didn't do that. We have this power to use Jesus' name. Demons flee in the name of Jesus. Brian mentioned that a couple weeks ago. So why aren't we using this more? You know, sitting, sitting, saying, Jesus, thank you for this day. Jesus, I am in pain. There is suffering going on. But I trust in you. Lord, come put healing on this situation in Jesus' name. Amen. I do not believe that you can overuse his name if you remain intentional. Lauren and I, when looking at this, we're looking at Psalm 37.4. This is a really popular verse, but it seems often you forget the first half of the verse, the most important part. It says, delight yourself in the Lord and he will give you the desires of your heart. Delight and. This is a two-way street. You have to align your heart to the Lord's for him to give these things to you. What Jesus is talking about here is not the part of you that wants those new AirPods for your birthday, okay? <laughs> you get it, it is so much more. This is so much more, this power that we have. Um, a lot of you have heard the song, Psalm 13, or read the Psalm, Psalm 13. Um, David wrote the Psalm, but Nathan Hale put music in, you know, some, some lyrics to the song. And, and we're gonna actually end with that song today here in a little bit, but. His story is really powerful when you hear the story accompanied to the song. And so he came and shared it at camp some years back. But long story short, and he would love to share this with you. So he would love for you to ask him if you ever if you want his contact. I'll give it to you. But um, he was a really, really good baseball player. Super tall, left-handed, great pitcher. He lived in a house where he could see the high school baseball field growing up. And so it was like looking at the lights and I want to play baseball one day. Really good. In eighth grade, people were talking to him about college ball. Sophomore year, he's getting scouted. People, even as a sophomore, were saying, oh, he'll probably do MLB. Like, this guy's really good at baseball, right? Junior year, elbow out. Senior year, shoulder gone. Like, injury, injury, done. Baseball's over. No more baseball. His whole life, 18-year-old him, shattered, gone. He picks up a guitar. And that's when Psalm 13 started to happen. This, how long, oh Lord, are you going to forget about me? Like, are you forgetting about me? But I will rejoice. And I will sing at the top of my lungs. But how long, oh Lord? <laughs> but I will rejoice. The song even comes to more fruition later on in life when Nathan gets cancer. And he's in Vanderbilt and doesn't know if he's going to make it. How long, oh Lord? But I will rejoice. So last week when Dean took that hammer to the bowl, it's broken and it's shattered. 
And I'm not asking that we forget about the grief. I'm not asking that we don't sit in those moments of brokenness. But where I do want us to sit today is seeing how the Lord is this gold working through it and making it whole. And even in the midst of something being whole, there's still things about it that seem broken, but it's so beautiful. Christine, Dean's daughter, actually put this back together, which she did an amazing job. But we have an opportunity to still wrestle and struggle. The Lord's up for the wrestle. How long, O oh Lord? But I will rejoice because he is making us new. Our lives, our faith is built around these, these highs and lows of life, the grief and the joy, or even like the mountains and the valleys. A couple summers ago, well, this would have been 2015, we at our fall retreat um, talked about the valley and this, this analogy that has stuck with me all these years later that, you know, you have the mountaintop experience of life, but then you're, you're down in the valley. So when you're climbing a mountain, you have to begin in the valley to reach its peak. You have to start from somewhere, but you can still experience these mountaintop experiences, the, this beauty of life in the shadow of the valley. You can still have that in these dark moments. And also two summers ago, we were part of a trip to Colorado with the youth group. We went Heights Mountain Church. Let me tell you, it is hard work to climb a 14, 13 something thousand foot mountain with a big pack on your back, climbing over these rocks, just waiting for another break, waiting for it to be over. But I still remember these moments of such joy, climbing this mountain, dancing, laughing, singing, lame as a rob as we're climbing this mountain, annoying everybody else around us because it was being so obnoxious. But it was these joy-filled moments. And so you have to keep that end goal in sight the top of the mountain. And then once you get there, the pride of seeing how far you've come, the struggle turned into this beautiful thing, the joy. And so I'll leave you with this. You have to have faith, not hope, but faith that relief and redemption are already on the way in the midst of your suffering, knowing that the Lord is coming. And so I'd like all of us to close out, if you'll stand with me, so we can read together Psalm 13, verses 1 through 2. And five through six. How long, Lord, will you forget me forever? How long will you hide your face from me? How long must I wrestle with my thoughts and day after day have sorrow in my heart? How long will my enemy triumph over me? But I trust in your unfailing love. My heart rejoices in your salvation. I will sing the Lord's praises for he has been good to me.